Welcome to ADHD is Over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is Over. My guest today is Dr. Stephen Cowan, MD, a board-certified pediatrician with over 30 years of clinical experience working with children. Dr. Cowan has a subspecialty in developmental pediatrics and has developed a unique holistic approach to evaluating and treating children struggling with chronic, physical, emotional, and cognitive disorders. Considering the child as a reflection of the interrelated forces of family and environment, is the central focus of his practice. This approach respects the inseparability of mind, body, and spirit and promotes a deeper understanding of what it means to be healthy. In addition to his practice in Westchester, Dr. Cowan lectures across the United States and internationally, and he's the author of the book, Fire Child, Water Child, how understanding the five types of ADHD can help you improve your child's self-esteem and attention. Welcome, Dr. Cowan. It's good to be here. Thank you so much. Since we're going to be talking about attention, I appreciate you giving your attention to me for this conversation. You know, I so, like that um, even that beginning, giving attention as if it's a gift, right, that I'm giving you, um, is a whole different way of saying paying attention. That, that's a great uh, uh, nuance. My wife and I often talk about this, right? When we tell kids, pay attention, it's almost like it's a valuable currency and we want it from them, but they're going, what am I getting in return for my valuable attention? That becomes transactional, whereas giving is more um, ennobling and more loving in the sense that um, I need, you know, I'm in need from something from you. Paying attention is almost like a toll that you have to pay to get on the highway, right? Whereas giving attention is more like doing a good deed. Yeah, that's that's well said. And I think one of the, what attracted me to reaching out to you, uh, perhaps I'm very good at uh, sensing uh, when an expert or, or, or you know a speaker or a doctor, or psychologist. Um, likes to go into those nuances because that's what shifts the perspective, right? Exactly. Uh, because if not attention, it's just like, oh, he's not a paying attention to school. And we don't, even, we don't even pay attention to the word paying, right? We just go pay attention, pay attention. Well, even the word attention um, is one we could play with. But the one that's even more confusing, I think, is focus. Mm. Focusing makes it sound like everybody's supposed to be a laser beam. And that's actually not what healthy focusing is. Healthy focus, you know, I'll tell you a story. When I was a kid, and I definitely had ADD, in fact, it was a real, it wasn't called that back then, you know, it was 50 years ago. It was uh, much to the bane of all my teachers um, and my parents. Uh, I liked to be outside, I liked to climb trees, I liked to paint and draw, and um, I wouldn't read. I refused to read and my parents were avid readers. My sister was a reader and it really frustrated. My father would bring home, you know, 
pirate books and everything. And I just throw them away and draw, you know, characters fighting and doing all kinds of weird stuff. And it was really frustrating for him. And uh, he went to the head of the Boy Scout troop and said, you know, I don't know what to do with this kid. He won't read a single thing. You know, if it had pictures in it, I would love it, you know, and I would just look at the pictures and I'd figure out what the story was about and probably take it in places that the story never went because I had a really good imagination. So this guy gave him some recommendations. And one day he took me on a Saturday morning to the woods near where I grew up. And um, there were these two Native American guys, kind of uh, trackers. And they had, it was me and a couple of other loser kids who wouldn't read or pay attention in school. And my father dropped me off and said, you're going to learn to track animals. Okay. I had no idea why or what, but it sounded cool. And these guys were a little sketchy, but they were cool. And they said, we're going to teach you the old way of tracking animals. And one day, if you're really good, you will see the animal in your mind before you see the animal, just from tracking the animals. And so they taught us that you come down low, the way of paying attention in tracking is you come down low, you look at the contours of the track, and then you come out and check the terrain, right? This is a way of paying attention that goes, it's, we evolved this way for millennia. In, out, in, out. So you dive in, you come out, you check out what's happening, you dive in. Otherwise, you're going to walk off a cliff, right? And so we're doing this for weeks and weeks and weeks. And about six months in, one day we're walking along, looking at you know tracks, and I stop. And they say, what? What did you see? And I said, I don't know. You know, I wasn't used to what they're talking about. And I closed my eyes, you know, and they said, what image came up when you were looking at the tracks? And I said, a cat? And they said, what markings? And I said, black, maybe with a white paw. And part of me thought I was just imagining this. And they took off into the woods. And about 15 minutes later down in the woods, up in a tree was a black cat with a white paw. The next day I could read and didn't stop reading from then on. Wow. So the That's a great story. Yeah. The quality of paying attention is not that laser focus, which sometimes medication makes you do. There's a pulse to paying attention. And when we expect, or a teacher or a doctor expects that paying attention should be riveted like a laser beam, that is a machine. That is not an organic process of taking in information, absorbing it, connecting it to the context you're in, going back in for another dive. That pulse matters. I love that story. Yeah, that's that's a very organic way to take in everything and then combine, I guess, research, feeling, intuition, all of it. Correct. Right. Create what they you want to see. That, they call it in ancient Chinese um, uh, philosophy and training, Taoist training, focus and the field. So you have the focal point and the field, and you're kind of bouncing back and forth between the two. We don't train that, and yet it's wired into us from our Neolithic beginning, mm. especially boys, right? So we have hunters and we have gatherers. You know, it's a kind of 
binary way of thinking about males and females. And there are plenty of hunter females and gatherer males. But in that simple binary form, schools are designed for the gatherers. And if you happen to have a hunter, just at this level of yin-yang level of binary urges or traditions or wiring, what is the, what's the hunter supposed to do in a gathering when they feel the need to go like exploring? Yeah. And then they get in trouble for getting out of their seat in class or going to the window to look what the fire truck that's going by. That's great. Yeah. That reminds me of the Tom Hartman's uh, hunter farmer theory, right? Exactly. Which, which is what set me off on this journey because I realized, like you said, there's obviously some female hunters and some male gatherers, but generally, uh, you know, it's probably 90%, 95% true that it's the males that uh, were, I guess, born or made to go do the tracking and the hunting and, you know, the protection and bringing home food and so forth. So that brings that, that brings up a question that I hadn't even written down, which I love. Um, do you think that uh, because we're, we're lacking what, what used to be called initiations of the young, right? To become yes. uh, a male from being a boy to a man. Uh, uh, say, say a bit about that. Yeah, that's a really important point. So now we're in, we're going to move deeper and deeper into this because Tom Hartman, you know, I'm a big fan, but that binary actually isn't enough, but it's a good beginning point to understand why, you know, six, seven to eight to one diagnosis of ADD in boys versus girls, because we have this binary. Now the initiation is a wonderful, see already you and I are learning something, right? Because it triggered something and initiations yeah. are part of um, what is again, neolithically written in our, our genes, which is uh, kind of honoring or ceremony around transitions, right? So a baby's born, there are transitions, birthdays are transitions, coming of age is supposed to be a transition, but it kind of drops out. Yeah, you can have a bar mitzvah or, you know, some kind of event, but it's not really driven by that deeper Neolithic urge of purpose, giving us purpose of shifting, right? What we're supposed to be learning when we are put out in the world and have to survive by our wits. Um, and that honoring is, is not, you know, I see it in men also, you know, men, are missing that. And so what ends up happening is they go into a crisis of what we call midlife crises, because there's no initiations for transitioning from being a stud 25, 30 year old to being a 45 year old, it's gone. And so there's a kind of free fall that men go through and boys go through it too. Um, we have kind of artificial ways of doing it now in sports you move from the little league, maybe you move up into, you know, so they're kind of initiations, Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts has a little bit of that, but we need it um, much more um, authentic, not so um, artificially driven. It has to be real because kids feel when it's authentic and when it's not an authentic coming of age event 
um, changes your perspective. And if anything, as you said, reading some of my stuff when you invited me, this idea of changed perspective on this, you know, on a word, attention, on a word, pain, when we can shift our attention, we're growing. And I will tell you that one of the great, the, of the two great revolutions of the last 25 years that I've seen as a medical doctor, one is epigenetics, revolutionized our way of understanding genetics. Epigenetics means that the organic process of turning on and turning off genes is highly dependent on the environment you're in. It's not some hardwired, you know, computer program that you load on and it just does its thing. It is turned on and turned off all the time by everything, what you eat, the, the color of your room, you know, the people you hang out with, you know, all of these things trigger certain expressions genetically. And the second great transformation or great revolution in science is what's called neuroplasticity, which is that the brain is constantly reshaping itself. And when you put these two concepts together, epigenetics, the environment affects the way our wiring expresses itself. And neuroplasticity, which says that your brain can keep reshaping itself, you realize how many physicians and experts in the field of neurology and psychiatry and, and child development and pediatrics and even education are still thinking in the 40-year-old way that ADD is hardwired into you and that's it, you've got it for life and you're, you're screwed. I was just going to say that, sorry to interrupt, uh, but I really have been feeling this. And um, Bruce Lipton is an, another expert we're about to talk to about epigenetics. And I've been following him for a while. And I said to my wife, wait a minute. So it's actually a myth that ADHD is genetic. And it's not necessarily a myth because it's still epigenetic. So it's still genetic in a way, right? But um, it's how the term genetic has been sold to parents. Like it's predetermined and you're doomed for life. And it's written in stone, right? The yeah. other piece of this, now, when I was in med school, they said neuroplasticity, or they didn't even call it that back then, your wiring is done at 25. And we all freaked out because we were 25. And we we're like, oh my God, how are we going to get all this information into us? We're done. And then in our 30s, they said, oh, we were wrong. It's 35. And we're like, okay. And then when we were in our 40s, they said, actually, we were wrong. It's 45. And now we're getting suspicious that they're moving the goalpost with us because they are us, right? And they're just the same you know, level of age and they're say rechanging. And it turns out if you're 75 years old and you can learn a new guitar lick on your guitar or a, learn, a golf swing, you're pruning your brain. And so you can learn anything, anytime, if you put your mind to it. Now, putting your mind to it is a really interesting concept. So let's swing back to attention as a neuroplastic um, quality that can be trained, organically engaged, and um, expanded upon, right? And um, 
there are some drivers for that. But if we think about it for a second, attention is the way I explain it to kids. And I have slides and videos and things that I create to explain it, especially now with online you know, connection, which is interesting for kids because I become a, a glorified Mr. Rogers TV show, as I, but I'm engaging with them all the time. So the way I explain it is you've got this flashlight in your head and you have all these parts of your brain that are, you know, school and Minecraft and exercise and eating and sleeping and, you know, whatever, sports, everything. You get this meta thing called attention you get to shine that flashlight on any of those centers you want. You just have to practice shining it on those. You can shift your attention. So when we were talking about focus, one of the problems I have with the word completely is there's no flexibility to it. And we know from all the cognitive research on what we call executive functions, another term I hate, as if we're a corporation and the executive is on the top floor. It's more than that. Um, it's more loving than that. But the, regardless, that penthouse executive, we talk about it as cognitive flexibility. So a better way to think about attention is focus and flexibility. The ability to stay on something and the ability to shift to something else. So remember my story about tracking in, out, in, out. So there's focus and flexibility. And I think we, one of the misconceptions I hear every single day about attention, parents call up and say, my kid's not paying attention. And I'll say, well, let's look at that for a minute. Because if we don't have the curiosity before we just jump to the conclusion, we have to really be curious about it. What do you mean? The first question I often ask is, well, what does he pay attention to? And invariably say, oh, if he's playing Minecraft, he's, I can't get him off it. And I say, okay, so already we know there's nothing wrong with your kid's brain because he has the capacity to pay attention. There's no little attention center in the brain that's broken or, or chemically imbalanced, or right? So this is important to unpack for people. Uh, I have a question there, right? Because every parent has been, again, sold. We call it the myths, right? Uh, the other side also calls it the myths, but so what? Th there's a myth that when a parent, you know, when they say, oh, my child only focuses when they play video games, and then the more traditional side says, well, yeah, but, you know, they can't play video games for the rest of their lives. So obviously they need to learn how to get rid of that crack, you know, and yeah. focus on what really matters. Exactly. Right? So let's uh, this is a great segue. So that comment, my child only focuses on things he loves mm -hmm. or he's interested in or he's passionate about or he cares about is the core of a lot of my work because that is a truth that everybody agrees on. The, the, the side, the mythologists on one side, on the conventional side that say, you know, it's still genetic, it's still hardwired, it's chemical imbalance, it needs more Ritalin, blah, blah, blah. It's a Ritalin deficiency, right? That concept, that mythology versus the parent who knows, and I consider every parent a true expert on their kid, 
I, it would be arrogance of me to ever assume that I know your kids better than you. That's arrogance because you live with them 24 seven. Even if I spend two hours with your kid, it's not the same as you knowing your kid. Yeah. If I can change your perspective on that, and then we can really work together as a team to help grow attention, train attention, cultivate attention, as it's been cultivated in the East for millions. You know, I mean, it's part of the tradition of Buddhism and Hinduism and Taoism, all these ancient traditions of training and cultivating attention, calm attention, right? The quality of, of uh, mental acuity of absorbing information. So let's back it up and say, okay, the truth statement is my child only pays attention to things he cares about. Okay, let's take that as truth. Then whose problem is it when he's in a class and doesn't care about that? That is the truth. We're all in agreement. He only cares that he pays attention. We all pay attention to things we care about. Because the truth of attention is love, is caring. If you don't care, you won't pay attention. And you can't force it with all the Adderall in the world to care more. You can get a false illusion of, you know, a kind of forced focus. But the caring may not be there. And if there's no caring, you're committed to a life of medication. And that's where that mythology on the conventional side, the way I was originally trained in ADD, comes true. It's a commitment because every pharmaceutical company wants you to believe that, that if he's got it, he needs it. It's like he's deficient. But caring? He's, is he really deficient in caring? Can't we? How do we get a child to care more? Because often what parents are saying is he won't if I retranslate, I say, oh, so what you're telling me is he doesn't pay attention to the things you want him to pay attention to, right? So we have this idea that he won't pay attention to the things I want him paying attention to. He's only paying attention to the things he wants to pay attention to. Yeah. Well, that already tells you it's not a problem of attention. It's a problem of designating caring. And that opens up a new world. So from the hunter and gatherer, we shift down. And I'm going to hit all your questions and things just organically in this. Absolutely. And we, we don't have to. Like, this is, this, exactly. this is exactly where we need to be. Yep. So the idea of how to get a child to care more about what the teacher cares about or what the parent cares about now we're talking about love, how to get a child to love learning, to love something that someone else loves. That's a, there's nothing wrong with saying that question. And when I say that to teachers, they agree with me wholeheartedly because they're under enormous pressure right now. I mean, they always have been, but since no, no child left behind, the ADD rates have skyrocketed and that's no accident because the, curriculum is forcing kids ahead without their own natural pace of the rhythm of focusing and taking in information and falling in love with it. So how do you get a child to care more? Every parent wants to know this. 
because now you're training attention in a much more human, humanistic way. So to do that, the first question is, who is the kid? Because if it's a one-size-fits-all model of caring, you're screwed already. You're in a what's called fixed mindset. You've heard that language? Carol Dweck's um, great research on mindset of the, this is another revolutionary way of thinking, which is how we think determines how successful we are. So she did all this elegant research at Stanford or USCF doing fixed mind thinking, which is very black and white, right and wrong, good and bad, yes and no, binary thinking, digital thinking, if you will, is she's shown limits your success in life. And we'll, you know, I've taken that concept a little further in the work I've done with kids over the last 30, 35 years. The opposite is growth mindset, which is an organic process. It's a, it's a journey. And when you see life as a journey, not as a black and white kind of construct that you have to do this before you do that or growth mindset opens up all kinds of possibilities. Now, and she showed that people who have this way of thinking, growth mind thinking, process driven, organic journey adventure thinking, you're open to all kinds of possibilities of, of learning and you're way more successful in life. And every parent wants success for their kid. And the way I define success is there, there's five basics of, of success. There's academic success, or what we'll call intellectual growth, growth mindset. Economic success, or we'll call financial growth. This is what every parent deep down is holding, waking them up at night, worried about their kid about. Social success, which is that they're, um, they've got their people behind them. They've got their tribe. They've got their connections. They've got loved ones who support them. And they know how to be, uh, have that support and give that support. Emotional success, which means emotions, you own your emotions, they don't own you. And physical success, which means you get sick and you get better. It doesn't mean you never get sick. It means you get sick and you're, you have the resilience to bounce back. And what I will, these five fingers are combined by, with one hand and that's spiritual success. And spiritual success means you believe in something. You have a purpose, a meaning in your life. Because without the hand, you've just got five fingers dangling out there. They, they don't work together to get you what you need, right? And so when I lay it out for parents that way, I often will say this, and I'm going to use you as a foil if that's okay. Mm -hmm. Since you're a parent, right? And you have two kids somewhere in this house right now yep. running around supposedly learning. Yep. So, okay. So I'm going to ask you, what's your high goal for your kids? My high goal um, would be, even if you hadn't mentioned your, your five fingers, would be that they are uh, emotionally in, in, you know, in charge of their own emotion, EQ, um, that they are following their passion and doing what they love, um, that they're financially independent, uh, that they are uh, 
surrounded by loving, by good people. Um, and um, I think that's, you know, and that they're healthy. But that's right. so, so you and I are at that level where you're reflecting the five fingers that I just talked to you. And that's real and it's very genuine. But there's a higher purpose to our lives. So well, I would say a little higher in terms of what you really want for your boys. I mean, I would say that I would want them to discover their purpose and live it fully, right? Be fully self-expressed and make a difference. So, all right, make a difference and be fully self-expressed. I love that. And so what I call that and the language I've been using since the book I wrote, you know, I, a lot of my work in the nonprofit Turn Us All Kids that I started is about how to be a hero in the world for kids. And that hero, that highest elevation of our being, that noble aspect of who we are, which we really do want for our kids is about being self-aware of our surroundings, of ourselves, right? Of others, empathy, right? Yeah. Of our emotional shifts, the weather inside us, that it's shifting like the weather, like, oh, I was really pissed off before and now I'm pretty happy. Isn't that a miracle, right? Or, um, you know, this idea of, so these break down in a very simple way that takes us out of the realm of the binary hunter and gatherer and into five, which is a very ancient number. And the world revolves around these five movements. And so just from self-awareness, the goals that I try to lay out for parents, that they all then resonate with because they, it's what they wanted in their heart all along anyway, is this idea of self-reflection, deep self-reflection. Who am I? What is great about me? What is my potential, right? Like you were saying, that expression of my greatest self, that hero inside me. Um, what is the future? What's my plan? What's my backup plan to get? What's my goal? What's my purpose, as you said? What is the joy of my life? What brings, what, how can I bring light to the world? What is it that the people I care about need? How can I care for them? Or what we call empathy. And finally, what is my kind of, sacred mission, or, or um, another way to call it is a kind of moral uh, compass of my life. What is it that's sacred to me? What matters to me that's sacred, right? And so these five become what they call the five elements or the five phases in Chinese medicine. And when I adopted that, I realized these five heroes, these five potentials of in you know empowerments become the initiations we want to take children into and so the first step in getting a kid to care is they have to feel cared for getting a kid to listen means they have to feel heard getting a kid to look you know to to see what i'm looking at you know pay attention to me look at me they have to feel seen Right. And so first we start with who is the kid? And that's so out of the box from the conveyor belt assembly, assembly line way of thinking about education or medicine. 
right? A kid comes in, oh, here's your ear infection. It doesn't matter who you are. Here's your ear infection medicine. Taking into account who you are is kind of, you know, I'm about to next week teach medical students um, at one of the big medical schools up here. And every year I blow their mind because I say, all right, you want to take your medicine much higher. You want to grow your practice. You want to be really successful. Take a uh, five minutes extra to find out who the person is you're treating before you just treat the problem. They'll love you forever because they'll feel seen and they'll feel like you actually care about a deeper level of the whole person. That's great. Parts. So these five become water, wood, fire, earth, and gold, I call it. In my book, I called it metal, but all the metal kids made me change it to gold because gold is more ennobling. Metal is a little too mundane. So water is that deep self-reflection. Water is that deep level of looking inward, the poet, the philosopher, the dreamer, the person who sees the world in a completely different, out-of-the-box way. Einstein, Thoreau, Darwin, you know, Freud, all these weird guys, Bob Dylan, strange people who come out of left field. You know why we call it they come out of left field? They'll say things out of left field when you're having a conversation. They're sitting at the dinner table and they go, everybody's talking about where they're going to go, you know, tomorrow. And they say, I wonder, do you think the clouds are angels or, you know, they said something completely out of context. We call it out of left field because in baseball, which I love, they get sent to left field because no balls get hit over there anyway. And they can sit and pick flowers and look at the clouds. There are dreamers. And when they're sitting in a classroom looking out the window, they may be thinking about something unbelievable, but we have no time for that. We make them leave that planet and come back to us. We are more important inherently than whatever they're thinking. about. Yeah. And so now there's a tug of war that's set up. When they get stressed out, the water child, they go, they withdraw like a turtle. They go deeper into themselves and they drive into fixed mind thinking, black and white thinking, because we all go into fixed mind thinking when we're stressed out. Our environment epigenetically produces the ADD symptoms. ADD is not a disease, it's a symptom complex. It's a bunch of checklists. It's just symptoms and bad medicine that only treats symptoms, we're not supposed to practice. You're supposed to find the root. You're supposed to treat what's under the symptom. Not, that's why it's not actually a real thing. Yeah, and if I may uh, uh, jump in here and say, you know, one of the things that you mentioned uh, in your bio, it says that you're considering the child as a reflection of the interrelated forces of family and environment, right? That would make the child not the problem, but rather the environment that's causing the friction between the child and the environment is the cause or one of the instigators, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And from an epigenetics uh, perspective, they're the triggers for seeing a a lack of um, what, what Stella and Chess back in the 60s, these famous psychologists called goodness of fit. If you don't feel like you fit, 
you're going to see this presented as what they call pathology. I don't consider that pathology. I consider that a developmental speed bump, that a kid is not being well met by the environment. And to make the kid shift without the environment shifting is takes enormous force. And what we call enormous force are pharmaceuticals, right? You need intense force to make a square peg jam into a round hole. And so we chemically induce that because we don't want to change the hole. So, so we have this water kid who's a dreamer who probably has the cure for cancer or some, you know, the next great novel. And we're trying to, you know, if, if we had put Einstein on Ritalin, you know, what, where would we be? Right. We, we, we wouldn't have any theory of relativity because he'd just be riding that subway and not notice that the other subway is moving at a different speed and it would never have happened. Then we have. So this is the one first of these high heroes that drop into fixed mind thinking when they go into fight or flight state, when their environment is not meeting their needs to be a hero, not ennobling them. The second is wood power. And the kid with wood power, their secret power is wood. That's the true entrepreneur spirit, the mover and shaker in the world, schemer, always looking ahead, always has a plan and always has a backup plan. We love those people. You know, in Amer America is a wood culture, right? Because we're pioneers, you know, and we explorers and pioneers, and we want to just do it our own way. We call them kinesthetic learners. They don't want to really be told how to do it. They want to figure it out by doing it. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. It's been done that way for millions of years. And yet, there are scouts, there are trackers, there are people who, I once had a kid who wasn't reading and taking a tip from my own story, I showed the parents, I said, no, your kid can read. And they said, no, no, when she's sitting in class, it was a girl. This is why it's not so binary, that male, female thing. I said, watch this. And I took her in the hallway, I gave her the book and I had her walk up and down while reading and she could read perfectly well as long as she was moving. But you sit her down and she feels like my, my mojo's not there. You know, the hero inside her isn't allowed to bloom, isn't allowed to come out, right? So the wood pe people are movers and shakers. They learn through moving through the world. And when you can find that moving, sit still, Johnny. You're going to get the fixed mind pushback. They can, they're going to start pushing back. They're going to get angry. They're going to get more distracted. They're going to start pushing, you know, getting more aggressive in their stance. And then people call them, you know, they have oppositional defiant disorder as a comorbidity of ADD now. We keep adding on the initial. Oh, yeah. That word comorbidity is not a friend of mine. <laughs> well, you know, comorbidity is a nonsense language. It's basically saying the truth, which is these are all symptoms. You know, you have fever and you have diarrhea. It doesn't mean you have two different things. You have a syndrome where both of those things happen to be manifesting, but you don't have two things. You have one thing causing two, right? So this is the typical way we put things in boxes. Now we keep adding on, you know, you have OCD and, you know, anyway. So 
The wood kid is remarkable in many ways because when you get them in a field of, you know, soccer, they have zero problem paying attention. But you get them in a classroom where they have to sit still for hours or on a Zoom session where they have to sit still. Those are the kids that are now in the crisis of our time. They're, they're in there making believe they're paying attention and they're playing Fortnite on the side, right? Or, you know, watching people on YouTube play Fortnite. So wood people are amazing people and they're very much high energy people. More, much more outgoing than the water kid who's more inward directed. They're outward explorers versus inward explorers. Already we have two different forms of paying attention and two different things they love. Kinesthetic learner and an introspective learner who needs more time. Then we have the bringer of joy to the world, right? A bringing, bringer of light to the world, fire. Fire is the, the life of the party guy. The person that is filled with like charm and they walk into a room and everyone gathers to them. When they're in preschool, the, the preschool teacher will say, oh, he's the mayor. Everyone knows him and loves him and wants to play with him. And they're just very bubbly personalities and their gift is intuition. They're intuitive learners. They learn through feeling. And we're not used to that, right? We think you have to learn through cognition, but they actually learn through another way. I raised one of these kids. They just feel it. They feel the answer. And so now we make them show their work and they're like, but why do I want to? I got it right. I felt it, right? And so now we torture them that way. And then we say they're not doing their work the way I want them to do it. They get them on Ritalin. So the fire child brings light into the room when they're a hero, when they're in their element, when their surroundings meet their needs, right? And when they're stressed out because they're not being, you know, they need to be adored by their surroundings. When they're not being adored, what ends up happening is they become the class clown because they want to bring joy. So they just start when things are getting too serious in the classroom, they fall off their chair, they become Charlie Chaplin or Robin Williams or something, and they just become more outrageous as an exaggerated version of the hero. They're no longer a hero anymore. They're out of sync with their surroundings. And then comes um, Earth, which is the peacemaker, the one who cares about others, right? who it, it deeply matters to these people that everybody's getting along and they want to meet everybody's needs. They're the pleaser, they're the caregiver, they're the peacemaker. We need them in the world. You see them in a baseball game, bringing water to the rest of the team in the dugout. They don't need to be told to. It's a different kind of focus. It's focusing on a particular thing that they love, which is making sure everybody's getting along. So by third or fourth grade, when the teacher says, all right, at class, everybody work by yourself, now they're in crisis because the very thing they love has been cut off. And now they're worried. Let's say the teacher is yelling at the wood kid for getting up out of his seat because the earth kid, this is the earth kid, they take things personally if the group is disharmonious. So now they think the teacher is yelling at them too. And they start worrying and they can't pay attention because they're worried. So wood kid can't, the water kid can't pay attention because they're trying to build a spaceship to Mars. The wood kid's not paying attention because he wants to go follow the, you know, the, the 
the cat that's walking up the tree out there. The fire kid's not paying attention because things are way too serious in the classroom right now. And we need to lighten up. The earth kid's not paying attention because they're not feeling part of the group. And then we have the gold kid who is at the highest level of hero, the architect, the engineer, the designer, the one who brings perfection, holy order to the world sacred order. They know what matters to them is beauty and perfection. It's not how fast you write your name, it's how perfectly you write your name. And so in a classroom where speed matters, now they get pissed off because that's not what they love. They like making their T very carefully, or their H or their W, right? And so now we have a disconnect between what they love, what they care about, and what the, the teacher wants from them. And so they don't feel like, how can they care, right? And when they get into fixed mind thinking, when they drop down into that fight or flight thinking, what they do is they end up getting stuck, hyper-focused, and they lose all, they get stuck on something and they can't budge. And that's a different kind of focus problem. It's rigid, hyper-focusing that looks more like OCD behavior. So we add that as a comorbidity onto ADD. Right? We just keep adding because we don't actually know what we're doing. Right, right. We haven't actually, the elephant in the room is attention. Not, not paying attention, it's growing attention. And so once we identify one of these five powers and your listeners will immediately identify their kids as having one of these distinct styles of moving through the world. Then it turns out to be truly heroic, you need to have the other four working for you. And this is an essential piece that I want to drive home. Growing attention means rounding out your gift, rounding out your power. So let me give you a really clear example. Let's take a wood kid who wants to do it himself. Now that fundamentally is okay, but you gotta get along with other people. Otherwise you're kind of a jerk. You know, Michael Jordan had to learn this. When he was in you know, high school, nobody wanted to play basketball with him, even though he could hit every basket from every corner because their team lost every game because he never passed the ball. Even though, yeah, he could hit it. And if they lost, he blamed the rest of the team. Classic wood type, right? My way or the highway, right? And it turned out, you know, every other team knew this, that he hogged the ball. So they just put five guys on Jordan and they lost every game and he blamed everybody else. And it wasn't until he met Phil Jackson or somebody who said, dude, you're a member of the team. You need to pass the ball to Scottie Pippen, even though you've got a shot. He needs to feel like he's be a team, right? That's earth. That's wood and earth playing together. And when a wood kid grows earth's power, suddenly you've shifted their attention to take doing it for the team. And that means for a wood kid to grow empathy. And you know the most fundamental way of growing empathy? We're doing it right now. The art of conversation, wood people and gold people tend to talk at you. People, when they're nervous, they talk at you. 
or they don't talk at all. And the idea is the gentle game of catch where you go, then I go, and you go, and you shift the direction of the, of, you know, I've been talking a lot, but we, if I let you in and then say, well, how is this resonating with you right now? Everything we've just been talking about, what do you say? Don't look at your notes. Just look at where, where do you feel this is going for you? Yeah. So for me, um, it's a beautiful exploration. Well, first of all, it, in a way, the way you laid it out with the, the five types of, of children, right? In a classroom, I sort of envisioned a classroom where the teacher is stuffing everyone in the same box. And it was a horrifying feeling of, uh, you know, different shapes and sizes. And we just cut them all into the same shape and stuff them in the, the peg in the hole. It just gave me this almost, I felt nauseous, you know, it's like, wow, what are we doing in education right now? We are completely missing the point. It's not actually education. It's just force feeding our kids with uh, academic knowledge because some Ivy League track promises success, right? So that's what I got present to at first. And, and so in the conversation, the back and forth, that clues me in on something essential, the nausea, that gut-wrenching feeling that because you're a loving father and maybe because you struggled like I did as a child with the same feeling out of place, they're not getting me experience it hits home and it and it's no accident that it becomes in here in it, right here it gets us because earth which is about honoring each of our styles everybody getting along in chinese medicine is the gut the gut yeah I had a feeling. No accident that you're feeling it that way, right? Yeah. The, the conversation goes a little deeper into more of an embodied experience when you and I are, I'm feeling you, feeling what I'm saying mm. in your body. That's a home run right there in growing a connection between us. Mm. Because now the game of catch has gone into something that's happening inside us both. I'm feeling you, feeling it. I, you know, and that tells yeah. me that even the stuff I'm saying has some personal meaning to you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now imagine if classrooms were geared to designating a wood child learning from an earth child how to, how to have a conversation that you yeah. really that you get the earth child to teach the wood child. I once did a workshop like that, where I got all these ADD kids that were very unruly and they actually um, hosted it at Tibet house in New York. It was a bizarre place. So there were all these Buddhas up there and we're sitting on the floor and the parents were all lined up on the wall, kind of in the background. And they're like, you're never going to handle these kids. They're wild kids. And I'm a little wild and silly and goofy. And I like to, play with kids. So I'm sitting on the floor with them and I'm explaining the inner hero in each of them. And they're like riveted to this, right? You know, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds. And I say, all right, as I explain them all, the thing that feels right for you, all the fire kids, you sit over there, all the wood kids, you sit over there, all the earth kids. And so they all divided up. Of course, there was one water kid sitting by himself because it always happens that way whenever I've done this. And they're all sitting there. And I said, all right, so now to be a true hero, you have to pass on your gift to somebody else. You have to share 
what you've been brought into this world to do. So, uh, but there's a relationship between them. Water can cool down fire. Too much water can put out fire. Fire can melt gold. Too much fire, you know, a little bit can shape gold and too much can destroy it. Gold can shape wood. Too much can chop it down. Wood can drive through the earth, you know, plow something too much, you destroy it. And finally, earth can channel water. Too much muddies it, blocks it, dirties it up. It's not clear anymore. So each has this degree of sharing. And so I divided them up and I, I started, you know, getting one kid to do, you know, uh, uh, I taught an earth kid, I had an earth kid um, teach a water kid how to sing row, row, row your boat in a kind of sequence, you know, where you do it as a round because water kids are so disconnected and in their own world. It was beautiful to watch. And then I had a wood kid do something. And each of them in a teaching role allowed them to understand somebody else, just the way I understood your gut-wrenching feeling. Mm-hmm. And at the end, parents were crying in the background because they had never, they didn't imagine that their kids had the capacity to spend two and a half hours interacting in such a way because we underestimate our kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's clear to me. It's so interesting talking to you, right? Makes me, it gives me hope and inspires me that we're, I don't want to say we're building an army because the army's already there, but we, we are building a network of professionals, seekers, creatives that are committed to changing the narrative around this topic and the narrative, it's just a, a shift in, in perspective. Right. And, and you mentioned uh, the word problem, like the child is not the problem. There's a cry for help there. Uh, my wife and I like to call it the um, check engine light of the family, right. Or of the environment. And then what we do is we put a piece of tape over the check engine light, like medication, <laughs> right. Oh, it's, I don't want to see it on. That's a good one. Yeah. Exactly. And that's a very common thing we do in medicine all the time. It's geared that way to, you know, even in education and in medicine, we want a quick fix. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about growing a human. It's not a race. Development is not a race. It's a journey, right? And it's not about getting someone there with a quick fix because you lose the joy of the journey. You know, um, I've found that a walk on the beach is, I discover more a walk on the beach than a flight to San Diego, right? Because it's too quick. You know, we're not actually wired to do things like that. We want to experience it step by step. And so this, I love this check engine model for that. It's, it's a good one because we see it all the time. That cry for help I call in my book, the barking puppy, right? So a puppy will bark Mailman, 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 mailman. Now, is there something wrong with that puppy? He's just doing his job. He's protecting his territory. He's letting us know, intruder. Now, it starts looking weird if the puppy's barking at the mailman and no mailman is there. Then the neighbors are saying, dude, what's wrong with your dog? And I say, no, no, you don't understand. I have super dog. He's picking up on the mailman three blocks away. 
And we, I take them through blocks away and there's the mailman. They come back and go, whoa, you have super dog. But if I go three blocks away and there is no mailman, what does that mean? When the puppy is barking as if there's a mailman, as if there's an emergency and there's no emergency, we need to start looking like you said at that family check engine light, at the surroundings, at the context. We need to take stock of the all the factors, all the ecology that's going on that helps that makes this child feel ungrounded or unsafe or insecure before we blame the kid as having some problem. Right. That's actually a word that stuck out when I was listening to one of your videos. I wrote it down. It's insecure. And I thought, wait, is that is it possible to say that this a child who becomes an insecure adult just never really felt safe in their skin, right? The insecure, not safe. Yeah, and safe means not seen for yep. who they are. So yep. we, you know, safe is a big topic right now. I, you know, I don't know when this is going to come out, but right now we're in the middle of COVID crazy land. Yep. And safety is a hot button, right, for everyone. And so you're seeing a lot more attention problems. People have all this time and they can't get anything done. Right. Because, you know, this is a known meme that's going around that we have much more time because we're not going to work as much or we're staying at home. And yet we can't get as we're less productive because of that feeling of uneasiness. Yeah. So instead of calling instead of calling ADD a disease, it should be called an unease. Mm, it's yeah. an uneasiness or a lack of security or a lack of groundedness because our surroundings are not giving us what we need. Mm. Can I just throw one in here that's just been burning? Um, recently, my wife and I, we had this insight at the beginning when we started maybe three years ago, two and a half years ago with the actual project. And I had this insight, I guess that would make me a, a, I'm more of the dreamer, the water. Yeah see the world differently well, in the way you're creating this um, whole project right mm. what's turning you on about it is the out of the box aspect of it yep that's the water power in you that's what's driving your attention to it and yes it will take longer than most projects because you're a water guy yeah a wood guy would get it done in about three months just to get it over with they got to yeah. go through it done next, but you're taking your time. You're going deep. You're asking people who I happen to really respect. Um, and that was why I was interested in participating in your mission because you're going deeper. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, no, that's great. No, that's thank you for that reflection. Yeah. The insight was, um, could it be that, and this all has to do with initiation, with transgenerational parenting, with masculine feminine imbalance is could it be that the lack of masculine certainty and groundedness in our nuclear families, that the lack of that causes a lot of that uneasiness in our Well, families? for boys, I think it's the lack of role modeling yep. of what male energy means. 
So, you know, this is a tricky language because now we, you know, gender is very confusing in our modern day. And so I want to be careful and not step on anybody's toes in how the right way to say this, but there is yang energy and yin energy in the world. And someone, we're all mixes of both. Mm-hmm. And the male has the feminine inside them and the female has the male inside them. But there's generally a dominant theme, right? And the other counterbalances it to keep you whole. Yeah. And the role modeling, you know, I'll, I'll give you a good example of your question. Because it's a really beautiful question about is there an absence of something that's contributing to this trend? In children, and uh, so I get asked this a lot, you know, you know, but there, you know, you're honoring the kid. I get it, Steve, but there's got to be some discipline. And I'll say, okay, let's de- deconstruct that word discipline. So discipline's root is in the word disciple. To be a disciple means to be someone who studies something or practices something. My discipline is pediatrics, right? It's my practice, right? So what we're talking about is a practice. So if you feel like you need to discipline your child, the first question you have to stop yourself and say, what is it I really want my child to be practicing right now? Mm. To develop themselves, to grow that high goal that I asked you before, which is self-awareness. What is it? Throwing him in his room and taking away his, you know, his iPad or, or his games, what is he practicing? Where's the growth? That's just sending him to jail. That's not actually growth mindset. That's fixed mindset. So growth, which we know by all the elegant research, limits your success in life. So why would we want to ever do that for our kid? So we stop and say, okay, what is it I want my kid to practice in this moment? He, he lied and didn't do his homework or whatever, right? And so I want to discipline him. So the first step I say is you want to, a parent has to begin to have as a role model, a discipline. So the role modeling is what is your discipline in that moment? Don't ask, how do I discipline my kid? What are you working on right now? So you're pissed off your kid because he didn't listen to you. You told him to go to bed and he's playing, you know, on his video games under the covers. And now you're angry. What's your discipline? What's your practice? Where are you growing in that moment? Because we never stop growing. So I've learned over the years, and I say this to every parent and every baby I hold in my hands, because attention begins holding a baby in your hand. You can prevent all ADD right there in the way you engage with a baby when you're holding them in your hand and how you're actually playing the game of nonverbal communication, right? Nonverbal conversation of actually locking, not like, oh my God, I'm on, you know, here and I've got the baby over there and I'm typing, really engaging to teach what attention looks like. Children are my teachers. I say it again, children are my greatest teachers. And my discipline is to learn to grow with every child I meet. 
They have something to teach me new. It never gets old because they're so complex. You know, even the five powers, we're mixes of all five. And we have dominant ones and we have lesser, weaker parts. And often it's not so important whether you're a wood or a fire child, it's the fact that you have like no water in you. So let's build some water power to counterbalance and make bring some wholeness to you, right? So when we want to be role models, to your point, to your question, is there an absence of that male energy? It's about the hero the male hero in the house. When a f right now we've so created a mindless culture of utilitarian, make money, go on vacation, halfway through vacation, start bumming out that you have to go back to work, you know, life, where's the joy? You know, where's the communal exchange, the first classroom, the first place to start teaching attention after you've held a baby is at the dinner table. That's the first classroom. How your child behaves, if you have a three-year-old listening to this, how that child behaves at the dinner table or the breakfast table is going to tell you how he's going to be at circle time in kindergarten. And if you can't keep him at the dinner table there, that means he doesn't care to be there and caring his attention. You're gonna get a phone call home three days into kindergarten saying, as your kid's not paying attention, he needs to see a neurologist, which every parent doesn't wanna hear because it sounds like he has a brain tumor or something right. yeah, desperately wrong, there's something neurologic wrong. I remember that day when we had our PTA meeting and we were told that and actually the thing really launched uh, this project was when the principal said, well, you know, and if you decide not to medicate your son, uh, he might end up uh, using drugs and end up in jail. And I was like, what? I mean, it was like a gut punch. It was like a gun to your head. Yeah, you're because right. We tend to use fear to coerce people into doing what we say. Yeah. So they very, you know, this happens in pediatrics all the time. If you don't do this, bad things are gonna happen and we try, as opposed to the dignity of you as a full-blooded equal to me. I don't know any more about this than you do having raised two boys. So even though you consider me an expert, because I've done this for a long time and seen thousands and thousands of kids, it's still an even playing field. And for me to raise that fear and try to, he's gonna, you know, almost he has a crystal ball. He's gonna be doing drugs. He's gonna end up in jail. You don't know my kid. How dare you say that? You don't know yeah. me and you don't know the, the ethics I'm putting into my child. That's a one size fits all model coming down and saying on the conveyor belt, defect, defect, defect. Yep, absolutely. And for us, it was the diagnosis ended up being six different disorders uh, from autism, ADHD, developmental, dyslexia, right? And uh, four years later, our son's not hyperactive anymore. It's dissolved and he's, he doesn't have any autistic traits or is dyslexic or none of it. Right. What was his, what's his name? Kai. Kai. So, you know, Kai means 
doorway in uh, Chinese. Yeah, yeah. Open door, right? Um, and what it, it it's kind of a welcoming. So what was missing from the six diagnoses was the diagnosis of Kai. Yeah. Oh, imagine, I've done this sometimes. I've written, written down on a piece of, uh, on a prescription pad. Here, I, I'm going to give you the diagnosis of your child. Are you ready? So you better sit down. And everybody's like freaked out because when the doctor says that, it must be bad. And I'll write down Kai. I write down their name, the child's name. This is the diagnosis. Right? And they look at me like I'm nuts. And I say, we need to recognize that this is a human being, complex human being with many moving parts interacting and to simplify it and dumb it down to some made up box so that we feel smart and we have control of the situation using a DSM-5R category that was made up to drive pharmaceutical industry never was intended to be used clinically like that. It was a research tool, but the pharmaceutical company and the insurance companies glommed on. And if I were to write to your insurance company and say, um, he has Chi syndrome, and they'll go, well, I'm not reimbursing you for that. That's how things fall through the cracks of a whole society. They don't know what to do with Chi. They know what to do with ADD. Now, what do you say about this just brought up the word coping, right? Because many parents, I mean, my wife and I were lucky that we trusted our intuition and said no to medication and started this project. But many parents are sold this coping, these coping strategies and coping mechanisms. And, you know, I hear it all the time. It's just yeah. like it, coping to me is just hoping there's no thriving. Well, and coping is surviving. It's not thriving. So there's a difference between surviving and thriving, right? Surviving means you're just getting by in a system that doesn't get you, and this is the best we can do. It's really, you know, uh, you know, if I'm driving a car and I say, well, it's coping with the hill, I mean, it doesn't sound very ennobling. You know, we want to raise the bar a lot higher than just coping. You know, coping is still fight or flight. It's still in that puppy brain, barking, mailman, mailman, coping with stress. There's nothing wrong with it inherently, but it's not ennobling enough. There's no hero in that. Heroes do way more than cope. Yeah. They rise above, right? They, they go one step above, right? And that's what we want, to rise mm -hmm. above it, not just get by and cope. It just makes more worker bees. Yeah, that that brings up another theory that, that we have is uh, talking about hunter and farmer and, and worker bees is that in the future when artificial intelligence is going to replace a lot of the worker bees and the, the repetitive kind of folks, right? Which is usually not the hunters, not the ADHD. And not brains. the creative types, not exactly. the thinkers. Yep. And I feel like we need our ADHDers as I hate that term as well, but just to uh, shorthand, we need them out there thinking, rethinking, recreating the future, because if we're just going to listen to the repetitive farmer AI, we're going to run into the same box. Structure, well, right? that. Yeah, that is absolutely correct. 
but worse than that, those worker bees can't compete with the computers. Yep. With the robots, because we're not wired to do that. That repetitive action that loses the creativity, that loses the variability, the diversity that makes everything the same, right? You see it in our diet, you see it in, you know, all these sameness stuff that, you know, you look at an old growth forest, one of the most stable ecologies on the planet. And it's unbelievably diverse. If you cut down one set of trees in an old growth forest, what comes back is, you know, one kind of tree or you plant one kind of tree there, it destroys the whole ecology of it. It's diversity that nature favors for survival, not conformity. Mm -mm. So you're right about that. It's a beautiful metaphor, this idea of when, you know, the automation, we won't be able to compete with it anyway, even if we're all on Ritalin, because we can't work as fast. Now, let me ask you this question. Have you ever seen a computer with empathy? Nope. Have you ever seen a computer um, with a creative solution that's out of the box, that isn't literally out of its box? Nope. Can't do that. Have you ever seen one that has the capacity to bow and honor something sacred? Nope. No, it's not, Why they're not. I mean, I could imagine that all these uh, uh, traits that you just mentioned, a computer would fake and imitate or speak, but it couldn't actually feel it and we wouldn't feel it. We would feel it's inauthenticity. Exactly. That yep. it's going through the motion. Yeah. And I hear that a lot. You know, some kids who have been beaten down with medication and that coping and then the complaint is, it feels like he's just going through the motion. Yeah, yeah. And then they complain to me about that. And can you fix that, Steve? And I say, well, he is just, you've taught him to just survive. And he's been beaten down. You know, there are two ways to be a slave. There's one that does the minimal and hopes nobody notices. And then there's Spartacus. And Spartacus is going to rise up and say, screw you, I'm out of here. And the other guy's going to cope. Right. And so what we want is something in between. We don't want to create all revolutionaries because that just often they get put in jail. And they're not wrong about the jail time of people who are very creative or because they're misunderstood. They've not been met. They've not been accepted. They've not been seen. So that's the danger. The danger yeah. is that if you only go surface to the symptom and say he has ADD, he needs to be treated or else he'll end up in jail. That's not saying enough, actually. I would rather say it is if we don't honor who this child is and what his unbelievable capacities are, he'll go to jail. Yeah, which That's is the, the, the trauma, the trauma part, right? When children are not uh, honored and when they're not uh, raised to to uh, deal with process trauma and and have emotional stability they might end up in jail because they're going to get out of hand or 
or you know, physical com- diseases, you know, that meant that trauma. And yeah. when we talk about trauma, it's very important to unpack that. It's a big part of my work with kids these days, because it's not just the big traumas of not being misunderstood right. or being bullied or being sent to the principal or the humiliations, but they're the mini traumas, the everyday mini traumas of not feeling like your purpose is being ennobled. Mm not being of being misunderstood or mistaken right that are like little tiny jabs that cut away at your self-esteem and those traumas add up to someone who you know doesn't feel like a hero and when we say that there's an epigenetic trend in ADHD as opposed to a genetic trend it's because the father who's been beaten down and traumatized yep. and copes and just has been belittled to the point of a square peg now, even though he was once a round peg. Well, the kid sees the father that way. That's his role model of what a male survivor getting just getting by is. Mm. Just do your homework, Billy. Stop complaining. I had to do the same thing when I was a kid. That's the legacy of ADD. The beaten down gets passed on. That's epigenetic. And so we want to break that vicious cycle now. Yeah. And that starts by ennobling parents first, right? You know, when you're on an airplane, you put your, your oxygen on first. So the first step is to ennoble them to help them come in, like you and I, immediately we found your water power. And then we want to look at, well, what's the power that's not, you know, what are the challengers to water? Well, earth, you're obviously working on earth power because you're doing all this connecting conversations. Mm -hmm. That's earth power. Earth and water, when they work together, is much more increasing your job, your, your odds of success. So this is two. The other leg challenger, water puts out fire. Now you're a pretty serious guy. Fire is humor, being goofy, silly, being spontaneous, being impulsive, right? We shut down impulsivity in our classrooms. I was just gonna say that that was the, the last term I wanted to bring up, make sure I don't uh, forget that as impulsivity. So I'm glad you so impulsivity is this fire urge that you have something to contribute and it's really important or you want to be seen. You know, I just had, I was just on the phone this morning with a family that was complaining. The kid keeps getting up in the middle of the class on his chair and singing a song <laughs> and they want him out of the class. You know, they send him out of the class and they yell at him and they, you know, and you know, think about it. I say, all right, well, let's, instead of just focusing on the behavior, let's dissect what's underneath the behavior. And so this is the way I do it. I say, okay, so what feeling do you think um, Billy was having when he was getting up onto the chair? You, you be the dad. What do you think he was feeling when he was getting up on the chair, just at the moment he was getting up on the chair? What was the kid feeling? Yeah, what was he feeling? Uh, well, probably restless. Uh, no, that's, that's more of a judgment. What was he actually feeling? Oh. As an emotion. 
As an emotion? Yeah. Excitement? Yeah, or... excitement. Okay, so he's feeling excited. There's a kind of immediacy to it. Mm. So he gets up on the chair. And we want to ask, what was every feeling we have that drives every behavior we have, every feeling drives a behavior. So let's stop dealing with just the behavior and look at the feeling beneath it. And then beneath that feeling is a need that's not being met. I'm going to say this again. Need that's, yeah. so think about it this way. Every behavior, that's all, that's the symptom. That's what people were freaking out over. He got up in his chair and he's singing. There's the behavior. Under that is a feeling. You just identified it, excitement. Maybe yeah. restless yeah. too. Underneath the feeling is an unmet Met need. Need. What's the need in Billy? To be heard, to be yeah, seen. Definitely that. Be heard. What else? Um, Let's really love this kid now. Let's really 100% love this kid. Let's not demonize him as a disruptor in the class. And let's look at him in a way that says, okay, this kid's trying to be a hero. What? Yeah, he wants to contribute. Wants to contribute. He has something important he feels he has to add. Or he wants to lighten up the room because mm -hmm. it's getting too dull and boring. Yep. Or he mm, wants to be loved by everybody, wants people to laugh. You know, there are genuine needs that this, maybe it's just I need to feel connected because I'm kind of feeling like, no, nobody's like connected here. There's just a teacher up there talking and come on, we want to feel the love in the room, right? That's a fire child. Yep. And so he gets up on a chair and he's like, da, 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 you know, and the teacher is really annoyed because her yep. curriculum's slowed down. Now, I will tell you something and I will leave you with this because I know we're probably out of time. I don't want to demonize teachers. I think they're some of the most noble people in the world. And I'll tell you that my ADD was transformed by a teacher in sixth grade. And I wrote about it in the beginning of my book. And that teacher, Ms. Baggerman, got me. She was frustrated. And she called my parents in and said, there's a problem, we've got a problem here. She didn't say there's a problem with your son. She said, we've got a problem here. So we were a team already. And I was at the meeting. I didn't want to be at the meeting because I didn't know what was going on there. You know, I had no idea. I was in my own world. I was drawing pictures and having a ball in the back of the class and making really cool airplanes and stuff. And she said, we have a problem. And she said to my parents, do I have permission from you to do whatever it takes? Because I know your son is a really bright kid. Do I have permission to do whatever it takes to get him to realize he, that brightness in himself? There's the self-awareness, the high goal. And my father and mother looked at each other and said, well, I don't know. What are you going to do? Are you going to hit him? And she said, I don't know yet. And they kind of freaked out at that. Back then, this was the 60s, you know, she would have been fired on the spot for saying, I don't know, instead of saying, no, I'm not going to hit him. She said, I don't know. Everything's on the table. Let's see what works. That open-mindedness, that creativity, that out-of-the-box thinking, she did things that transformed me from the lowest life in the class to the smartest kid in the class in a kind of Jedi way.
really smart way. So I never want to put down teachers because they are heroic when they can love the child. My job when I write reports, which I hate doing, when I make contact with schools to empower, you know, to interface because they need a doctor to support, the parents need a doctor to support their mission of doing what you did with your kids, and I want to be able to support them. All I care about is getting the teacher to fall in love with the kid. That's the goal, because if the kid feels loved, he'll care more. Right? And if he cares more, he's going to pay attention. Because all that paying attention is, is caring. Yeah, and it's interesting because I have had a couple of episodes that I've done on what I call attention deficit dilemma, that it's the kids that are not getting the right attention. It's not that they can't pay attention. It's if they don't get enough attention, like their needs being met, they're, right. they're being seen for who they are, then they're not going to care. Right. And getting, you can't make a kid care. It has to start with you as a role model showing that you care enough to know them, to spend time getting to know them, to empower them. Right. And, and I think, uh, I did a little video. I'm going to send it to you. It's on YouTube somewhere. I'll send it to you about this concept of caring equals attention. Mm. And, um, it's a very simple thing. It's, you can, use it. It's, it's very simple, but it's one of the deeper levels of the work I'm doing. Mm, I love that. Um, that caring is attention. Mm. That perhaps uh, uh, could be the, the name of this episode. You know, it usually hits me at some point and I go, wow, that's a really great, you know, caring is attention. Uh, I appreciate that. And uh, we do have to wrap up, but I, I will say that I am very, um, uh, what's the word? I'm not, not inspired to be an understated to um, how you see ADHD. And, and I really, and I mean this, I really think we would love to do a second uh, episode uh, maybe in a, in a few months or so, because there's so much more to talk about. And I just feel like we're, we're totally on the same, you totally. know, the dance works, you know, the dance works. And I love doing these and I want to support your mission any way I can, because we're, you know, brothers in this, yeah. in this cause. So yeah. set it up and let's make it happen. I would love to. And, and I'll make sure my wife is there as well, because I know she would have been like literally next to me going like, yup, yup, yep, you know, and sometimes it happens. You know, I tell her, like, we're recording audio. So if we use it for the documentary, we, we got to be quiet. Right. Because the expert or the person's talking. But same with me. I wanted to say so many times, like, yes, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I really know. I know. I really appreciate your depth. That's your enthusiasm. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with leaving those yeses in there sometimes because it yeah. does trigger the energy of a room, of a moment, of two beings. So it's not just a talking head, you know, in a documentary format. Um, my, my daughter makes documentaries for the Metropolitan Museum of Art, oh. and she's trying to break that fourth wall a little bit to to create the space especially yeah. zoom wise right a human uh, it, it's more real yeah it's, yeah and so having your wife's energy enthusiastically <laughs> going yes exactly that just encourages more out of me she's she's great you'll love her she's definitely a uh, 
what is the going within and sort of in her own bubble, quiet kind of? Well, that's water too. If you're both water, watch out. I want to know who your kids are living in a house of water. Well, she's a Cancer. I'm a Pisces. So uh, again, there's a lot of water. A lot of uh, water. Yeah, you just need an Aquarius in there and you'd be like drowning all of you. So <laughs> the idea is that um, you may be, you know, we, we should talk about that more. That introspective yeah. style of the two of you may be a reason why uh, Kai was misinterpreted mm. as on the spectrum because he had this epigenetic, and you know, clothing of water around him and many yeah. water kids are misdiagnosed at young age yep. as being on the spectrum because they've grown up in a more deep deeply um uh, driven family yeah and he was also born on my birthday which makes him another pisces you know yeah, so I doubt it would be unusual if everybody's water in the family. I've never seen that in the tens of thousands of kids I've cared for. So if you're both water, you have to look at the mix because as adults, you know, you layer on other aspects of yourself through your experiences and everything. So your second power may be wood because you're doing this project, you know, more driven to get something to change the world at social justice. Yep. And I can feel that in you too. And yep. she may be more on the earth side of it or on the metal side. So you have to look at where you meet and where the other aspect of you is. And then you want to look at the counterbalancing powers. And next time when we go together, I'm going to use a little diagram. Okay. Show an example of what we're talking about so it's not so abstract. I use a lot of visuals. Mm -hmm. I do this because that's how I learn. And so um, I'll show you a really good one. That would be great. Good. I would love to. Yeah, and I'd love to maybe we can, uh, this could be separate from this, but uh, book a session or do something where Kai also joins us and we can go through that and it would yeah, be yeah, fantastic. Yeah. How old is he now? Uh, he's uh, almost 12. Oh, beautiful. That's a great age. Oh, he's a great, great human being. Yeah, that, definitely. That is, he is on the verge of that initiation. Exactly. Yep. Right there. So you and he there needs to be some formalized uh, coming of age. Mm. Uh, I need to know more about him and maybe we'll play that game. Yeah. Uh, what the way I would do it is first go to T T dash kids.org. Mm -hmm. And I'd like all of you to take the assessment that I created there and you'll get your scores of all five because you have all five in you and you'll see your most dominant one. You'll also see your weakest one. And so the initiation is to find, to create the initiation based out of that, of the balance between the lowest and the highest. So for example, the there's a kid I know who I did this with, who is a, a water kid, kind of like you or your wife, or, you know, um, and he needed that wood energy that was pretty low in him. His parents lived in Vermont. And um, so we created an initiation that he had to, in the backyard, in the woods, by a stream, build a fire and tend it all night long, alone. 
And we would come out as a group of friends and uncles and aunts and parents to see the fire he preserved all night long at a little tent next to him. And he was responsible for tending this fire. So we had wood and fire for water kid. And, you know, staying up all night, right? Which is easy for water kids. And then, but having a purpose of bringing, you know, and that we were going to bring marshmallows and celebrate it and everybody was going to say words of praise for the fire that he had built. And so these are the kind of initiations we want to creatively build around who we are. That's great. I love that. I would love to do that. Yeah. Let's do that because it's been on my mind. So do that and prep for the next time we do it. Okay. Reconstruct it using the, the pattern that you have there and I'll show you how it works. Okay. Fantastic. I'm really excited. And I just want to, again, uh, uh, express my, uh, uh, you know, my gratefulness for your time and attention and for really digging in because it means a lot to me to have these meaningful conversations. As you know, I need this to construct my message, right? It's this kind of partnership. Yeah, I hear it. And like you said, certain things come to you in the midst of this you know, back and forth where we're going in different, you know, conversations can't be planned. You can't, that's an absurd concept, right? You can't plan yeah. it because it's going to trigger different things and then something co- emerges new. And that's called exactly. in, in modern um, science, it's called an emergent property. And it's sort of the concept of the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So you and I are the parts that bring something new out Yep. It's engagement. And that is huge. Beautiful. Well, I thank you for that. And I will for our listeners and uh, I will I will post in the show notes your website and some links and the YouTube videos. And so they can really dig in as well, because I think for for all the parents out there with children with ADHD, if they're on the fence or at least considering shifting their perspective, I think what you have to say could potentially shift someone's perspective in just this hour and a half. Just beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much for inviting me. And thank uh, you. May the force be with you. <laughs> Until next time. 